The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the one God, who is lover, beloved, and love overflowing. Amen. Alleluia! Christ is risen! Yes, four weeks in, and it's still Easter. Alleluia! And I've been reflecting this year that this Easter may be more like the first Easter than any I can remember. Like the disciples, many Christians were not able to gather around a Paschal fire this year to mark the Queen of Feasts. The threats that surround us and our fear of our own exposure and death have kept us huddled indoors too, just like those first followers of Jesus. And like them, many of us Christians today feel defeated, lost, anxious, and angry. And some of us are unutterably tired and can't be bothered to work up an alleluia. I think also we have this sense, like those first disciples, that something is different and will always be different now, even though we don't know what that something is. Many of our religious authorities, even in so-called mainstream Christianity, have sold their souls to the emperor for political gain. Sin and death, nationalism and racism, lies and corruption rule the society in which we live. 
This is the context now, as it was then, and frankly, as it has always been, for the good, improbable, and astounding news that, yes, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen here, he is risen now, and he is risen forever. God has already won her victory over the forces of evil, division, and death, and has opened the way to abundant life for all creation. Over the last few weeks, we've heard the stories of the first disciples' encounters with the risen Lord. These encounters lay the foundation for a life lived in the fullness of Christ, for a life that is transformed by God's promise to bring life out of death. This week, the lections move us from encounter to integration and begin to show us what the resurrected life actually looks like in practice. And what it looks like is sheep. I would so much rather that the resurrected life looked like clever crows, beautiful foxes, or fierce wolves. But it would seem that God is not nearly as interested as I am in my beauty, cleverness, or courage. And in fact, God doesn't seem to be too interested in my my at all. And that is one of the lessons of sheep. You see, sheep have two defining virtues, their unity with one another and their unity with the shepherd. Sheep huddle together and move as one body. And although individuals do have personality, they don't embody their individuality at the expense of the unity of the flock. In fact, as with bees or trees, it really doesn't make sense to speak of a single sheep. A flock of sheep is what biologists call a superorganism, which is a group of individual beings who are so in sync with one another that you can only truly speak of them as a collective, as a hive of bees or a forest of trees or a flock of sheep. With sheep, as with bees, that one being, the flock, responds to one other being, the shepherd. And basically to no one or nothing else. They might collectively run from perceived threats, but they don't follow anyone or anything but the shepherd. And over time, sheep become so attuned to the shepherd that they know his voice. They run to him, follow him, and respond to him. I'll admit, it's not a very subtle metaphor. But like the disciples to whom Jesus is speaking, as obvious as the image is, we don't get it. Or we, we don't get it on a level that moves us to embody it. Because none of us is born or raised a sheep. At the best of times, we're really wolves, crows, or foxes in sheep's clothing, trying our best to follow God's voice, 
all the while distracted and torn by our various cravings, fears, and hopes. And it isn't just our cravings, of course, that complicate our integration into the sheepfold. One of the greatest hurdles to transformation in Christ is actually our earnest and real desire to be humble and good and to love and follow God. Hidden in this desire for goodness in its various forms is usually the belief that our goodness will somehow complete us and that when we are thus completed, we won't need God anymore. We secretly believe that if we love God, if we strive for goodness and humility, we will get to be perfect versions of ourselves. And that system of belief and striving is one of the subtlest and most insidious kinds of idolatry, and one to which religious folks like us are particularly vulnerable. Jesus himself reminds us that only God is good. God is the source and the terminus of all goodness. Whatever is good or true or beautiful in this world is a reflection of God's beauty, God's goodness, God's truth. All our effort to claim that goodness for our own is vanity and pride. And really, it's fear. Fear that if we aren't good, we aren't anything at all. And fear, too, that God's promise to bring life from death may not really be true after all, either. Dame Julian captures this dynamic when she writes that some of us believe that God is all-powerful and may do everything and that he is all-wise and can do everything. But as for believing that he is all-love and will do everything, there we hold back. In my view, nothing hinders God's lovers more than the failure to understand this. Our hope in the midst of the darkness that surrounds us today must be in God's goodness and faithfulness alone. By our own power, we can only create a kind of resuscitation of the old life we knew. Only God can bring forth from death the life that really is life, the life abundant that Jesus speaks of to his disciples this morning. The image of the sheepfold following the loving voice of its shepherd is an image of the new creation, of humanity as fully and finally redeemed, brought forth into a new innocence. And this innocence is not that of Eden, of those who have never known sin and death and fear, but rather of those who have sinned and died again and again and again, and have, through the mercy and goodness of God, been reborn. It's an innocence that is genuinely wise and humble, because it knows that not only is God all-powerful and all-wise, but God is also all-love. 
continually shepherding us to new and deeper life. Julian concludes her thoughts in this passage by saying that as by his courtesy God forgives our sins when we repent, even so he wills that we should forgive our sins and so give up our senseless worrying and faithless fear. And who knows, in the end perhaps we will not all be sheep. For as Isaiah tells us, the wolf and the lion shall lie down with the kid. If for now we remain crows and foxes and wolves, dressed in sheep's clothing or not, so be it. In God's own time and in God's own way, we will be reborn into whatever we truly are, and we will hear the shepherd calling us each by name. For this much is certain, God is good, and that is everything. And yes, Christ is risen. Alleluia.